Thank you, Tab. That was very, very kind of you. Thank you. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn to Hebrews 3 or on your Bible app. Today, we are finishing a two-week mini-series in Hebrews. Last week, Dan Arthur covered Hebrews 2 so well, showing us how Jesus has reached out to help us in the world today and brings us into God's new family. This week, we're going to continue in Hebrews 3 to focus on the person of Jesus and the hope that he gives us because of his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning, <clears throat> we ask that you open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Alan, Alan is going to read our scripture today, our passages from Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was, was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. On June 23rd, 2018, a soccer coach in Thailand took 12 teenage boys into a cave for a fun excursion after practice. He intended to stay for an hour, but what he didn't know was that it was raining on the other side of the mountain and the boys became trapped by the rising water in the cave. There was no way out. When the boys didn't come home, their parents went out looking for them and found their bikes at the mouth of the cave. Now this started an international rescue effort that captivated the world. I don't know, maybe, maybe you remember this on the news about five years ago. Then, on July 2nd, two British divers named Richard Stanton and John Valenthin made their way two and a half miles into the cave. Richard emerged in the chamber and he didn't see anyone but he could smell them. By this time, the oxygen in the cave had, been, had run very low, and the smell of filth was thick. Then one by one, the boys, they came around the corner to meet these two divers and talk with Richard. Hello, said Richard. We are hungry, said the boys. We are hungry. I know, said Richard. You've been here for 10 days. You were very, very strong. What day is it? They asked. You see, in, in the pitch black of the cave, there was no way to gauge the passage of time. 
They had no idea that they had been there for 10 days. It had felt like a month. Will you take us out of here? They asked. Richard said, tomorrow, tomorrow, we will come back tomorrow. Believe, believe. Then Richard and John slipped under the muddy water and into the dark. The coach and the 12 boys were left alone again, trapped and alone. After some time had passed, they began to voice their fears. Can we really trust them? Is he really coming back with help? Well, they waited a day, not knowing the passage of time, hungry, the air becoming more stale with every passing minute. They wondered, did that man really tell people about us? Or, or maybe, maybe he died on the way back. Is it too hard to get us out of here? Are they going to give up on us? Now, as, as those of you who watched this unfold on the news, you know that the boys and their coach were eventually rescued. It took more than eight days and 10,000 people supporting the Thai Navy SEALs who brought them out one by one. It was an inspiring story of skill, persistence, and courage in a daring rescue. But can you imagine how those boys felt in that cave? Trapped, alone, in the dark. Wondering if anyone cared or even knew of their situation. Had they been abandoned? Well, none of us today is literally trapped in a cave, but I think sometimes we can identify with that feeling. Do we feel trapped in our circumstances? Trapped in a dead-end job? Trapped in a relationship conflict that never seems to end? Trapped in a sin that you just can't resist? Trapped in our homes as the pandemic rages through? Trapped in a body that through sickness, injury, or age just no longer works for you? Can we trust Jesus in that? Has God given up on us? Will this ever change? Is Jesus really coming back to rescue me? The recipients of the book of Hebrews felt much the same way. They felt trapped. They felt discouraged and in danger. The people in this little church were just barely holding on. So the writer to the Hebrews tells them, there is hope. There is hope for you also. He tells us that we have hope because Jesus is faithful to us. Let me say that again. We have hope because Jesus is faithful to us. How has Jesus been faithful to us? This passage gives us three ways. First, Jesus is faithful in his God-appointed work. Second, Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. And third, Jesus is faithful as the Son of God. 
Let's start with Jesus' faithful in his God-appointed work. Follow me in verses 1 and 2. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. He is saying here that Jesus is like Moses. Both Jesus and Moses were faithful in what God appointed them to do. Now, this comparison is important to the people who are receiving this letter because the Hebrew people of this time, when they think of rescue, their longing turns to a leader like Moses. Moses led the Israelites out of a desperate situation in Egypt, marched them through the dry land as the Red Sea parted. Still, the Egyptian army pursued to kill them, but they watched as the Red Sea crashed down and destroyed that army. God saved them through Moses. And now, he says that Jesus is the same kind of rescuer. Notice that he calls Jesus an apostle and a high priest. Only two people on the planet have ever been appointed by God to fulfill both those roles. Moses in the Old Testament and Jesus. The basic sense of the word apostle is one who is sent by God or a messenger of God. Jesus is an apostle who brings good news. A high priest is one who represents people before God and offers sacrifices for their sins. Moses offered sacrifices frequently, as was required by the law. But Jesus brings better news. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for all. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus, the high priest, has done this for us. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us that this brings us hope because Jesus is faithful in his God-appointed work as high priest and apostle. Jesus the apostle brings us good news, but in the rush of life or the discouragement of our circumstances, do we sometimes forget that message or fail to really hear him? Our hope increases When we give our full attention to Jesus the Apostle and his message of good news. Again, our hope, our hope increases when we give our full attention to Jesus the Apostle and his message of good news. At Christmas this year, we were opening gifts around the tree. And... um, of course, we, we waited. The best gift had to wait till the, to the end for, for Hudson. You know, Hudson is our, is our two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and you've probably seen the little, little guy with blonde curly hair running around here, or maybe you didn't see him because he runs so fast he's kind of a blur. But uh, 
We love Hudson. And Hudson was so excited at, the, at Christmas about every present that was opened. But he became particularly drawn to a colorful box that held his uncle's gift. He started playing in the box. And, and you know exactly where this is going. He was so happy with that box. But when it time, came time for Hudson to open his own present, the present that we had been saving for him, the amazing present for Hudson, he wouldn't listen to his mother. Hudson, it's time to open your present now. And Hudson said, I like this box. But Hudson, we have something really cool for you under the tree. It is better. I think you will like it. I like this box. Hudson, I think you will like the present under the tree better than the box. And of course he said, I like this box. And he was a little annoyed when we took the box away from him. Are we sometimes like that? Jesus comes to tell us the best news possible. But we, we have trouble hearing it through the noise and distraction of our day. The writer of Hebrews tells us to take the box off your head and listen. We can have hope. Because Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus is faithful in his God-appointed work. So listen to him. Next. Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. Follow me in verses 3 and 4. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Okay, so how did we start talking about houses? We, we, we were doing spiritual things here. We were talking about we were, we, we were talking about apostles and priests, and suddenly he starts talking about houses and buildings. In this passage, the writer mentions God's house seven times in five verses. So it must be important, and we should probably figure that out. The writer of Hebrews is using the house concept as a metaphor for the church. If you use the entirety of Scripture, you will find that God's people have been called His house in the Old and New Testament, going back at least to the time of Exodus. So the first point he wants to make in verses 3 and 4 is that Jesus is superior in glory because He is the builder of the house, the builder of God's house, otherwise known as His church. Several years ago, we took a, a trip to New York, and a friend of mine recommended that we visit the Guggenheim Museum. The Guggenheim houses this wonderful collection of modern art. And I must confess that I, I, I don't understand modern art very well, but I do like that building. When it was completed, 
A New York critic said, this is the most beautiful building in America. Frank Lloyd Wright designed and built that building. So when you see the graceful curves and the dome ceiling, you know that came from the imagination of Frank Lloyd Wright. He drew that building. He selected the materials and supervised its construction. Frank Lloyd Wright is worthy of glory as the creator of this architectural masterpiece. God's house is a masterpiece of Jesus' construction. Again, God's house is his church. So God's church is a masterpiece built by Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because he was the builder of the church while Moses was simply a servant in it. Everything Moses did pointed to Jesus. Jesus was completely faithful. His redemptive, his redemptive plan for mankind was conceived entirely by him. Promised to Abraham 4,000 years ago, refined through David 3,000 years ago, brought to life in the incarnation 2,000 years ago. Jesus suffered and died to bring salvation to us. He conquered death through his resurrection, and he reigns in glory today. His house, the church, is you and me. And all the glory of his church belongs to Jesus because he builds it and he sustains it. Colin Hansen is the editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition, and he tells a story of sitting next to a friend at a political fundraiser in 2015. He says, this person explained to me that America is the last hope of Christianity. And, and I thought I simply misheard him or that he got the order wrong. So I corrected him. I said, you, you mean that Christianity is the last hope of America, right? He said, no. America is the last hope of Christianity. How do we get to the place where we start to fear that the church that God built is in mortal danger? I'm not saying that Christians should withdraw from influencing events of the world. In fact, our faith should embolden us to do so. But how do we stop, how do we start believing that what we read on the internet or what we see on network news is not entirely under God's control? Is the writer of Hebrews commanding us to consider Jesus because he's worried about the future of God's church? No! His concern is for you and me. He is concerned about how we will respond to the hardship and how it will affect our souls. His church, his church is completely secure. <coughs> Jesus said, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No virus, no government, no social movement, no political party, and not even Satan will prevail against my church in the eternal glory that I have planned for my people. These are the promises of God. Yet we see the lead story on network news and, and, and we worry. We read the latest tweet or, tweet or Facebook post and, and we become angry. We see the drift of our culture into places that feel hostile to us. and We feel hopeless. This passage tells us that hope is found in Jesus. Consider Jesus. He is the apostle, the messenger of good news. Listen to him. Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. He builds and sustains it, and when he does, all glory goes to him. Why is this important? Well, it's important because it tells us this isn't about us. This is not a desperate struggle for survival between the church and a culture that is hostile to us. The church will continue because Jesus says it will. We know how all this ends. And adopting this knowledge into our hearts can turn our fear into courage. It can turn our anger into love. It can turn discouragement into hope. And how do we do that? The writer to the Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. Trust him. Third, <clears throat> Jesus is faithful as the Son of God. <clears throat> Verses 5 and 6 show us another crucial difference between Moses and Jesus. Moses was a man who was faithful in God's house as a servant. He wasn't always faithful, but he was generally faithful to the work that God appointed him to. Jesus, on the other hand, is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. As a son, Jesus presides over God's house as a ruler. He has authority and power to keep his promises. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3 says that the Son created the universe. That the Son upholds it by his word. That the Son made purification for our sins and now sits at the right hand of God. Psalms 110.1 says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The writer says, I know this life is hard, but stay faithful. No matter hard things get, no matter how hard things get, we already know how this story ends because Jesus is powerful enough to rescue us. 
The writer of Hebrews knows that the object of our hope must be powerful enough to rescue us and faithful to keep his promises. Jesus, as God's son, has the power to keep his promises. Jesus, as God's son, is faithful to keep his promises. As God's son, Jesus was called upon to enter the world as a baby, to live among us as a man, and to die for us. John 3.16, you all know this, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. At his trials before both Caiaphas and Pilate, the accusation against Jesus was that he claimed to be the Son of God. And he could have said, no, I'm not, and they probably would have released him. But he didn't, because he was faithful. And they killed him. And when it came time to die and take the sins of the world upon himself, Jesus the Son was faithful. When it was done, the centurion supervising the execution said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is powerful enough to rescue you. Yes, Jesus is powerful enough and faithful enough to rescue you. When the disciple Thomas was told of Jesus' resurrection, he didn't believe it. He said, unless I see his hands and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Jesus appeared to him and showed Thomas how the Son of God had been faithful to his Father and faithful to him. How faithful? This faithful! And Thomas's only reply could be, My Lord and my God. When you really understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this world to suffer a brutal death and take all the sins of the world upon himself, that we may have eternal life, what other response is even possible? My Lord, my God, I worship you. Jesus is faithful as the Son of God. Therefore, we have hope. You know, the last two years have been the hardest times that many of us have experienced in our lives. Some of us have, have lost loved ones to this virus. Some lost jobs. 
Some lost precious moments with our families. We are exhausted by continued restrictions and annoyed by endless Zoom meetings. Many of us are worried that the government hasn't done enough. And some of us are angry that they have done too much. Has all this discouraged you? Has your ultimate hope and joy in Jesus been displaced by a slow-burning anger or a sense of dread about the future? The writer of Hebrews says, stay faithful. Consider Jesus. Hope in Jesus. We have hope in Jesus because he is faithful to us. Jesus is faithful in his God-appointed work. He brings a message of good news. Listen to him. Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. Trust him. Jesus is faithful as the Son of God. Worship him. Notice that the writer of Hebrews is not encouraging us to practice the seven habits of faithful people or to discover the five keys to developing hope. He's making this very, very simple. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your thoughts on Jesus. Pay close attention to Jesus. You may feel like you're like those boys in a cave deep in the mountain with muddy water rising all around you. And you wonder, can we really trust him? Are the promises of Jesus true? Is he really coming back? Maybe if I try to be a better person, I can save myself. But think about it. Could those 12 boys and their coach in the cave do anything to save themselves? No. And neither can you. Consider Jesus. Stay faithful to Jesus. Hope in Jesus. We have hope because Jesus is faithful to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful to you for the hope you have provided for us through your Son. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to your Father and to the promises that you made to us. We have hope only because of your faithfulness. May we always remember that, listen to you, trust in you, and may that lead to worship of you as you are worthy of all glory and praise. We eagerly await your return in glory and the final rescue of your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's thank Rick for pointing us to Christ so wonderfully this morning. Thank you, Rick.
I love that passionate exhortation to hope in Christ. Hope in Christ today, friends. Hope in Christ in 2022. Hope in Christ each and every day. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together to help us do just that. So 